Last week, um, Saki, I'm a bit of a Saki fan, you guys would have noticed, you know, my, my, uh, he, he, um, he spoke on Galatians and he spoke on a little bit on the law. So I, I actually had something on my heart similar, so I thought like I'll, I'll just follow in the steps of Saki and just uh, go along there. So I, I want to say something, you know, about the cross, which is central. If, you, if, you, if, you, um, if you're not a Christian, you would see we speak about the cross a lot because the cross really changes everything, everything, everything. In fact, the cross is that which sets us apart from any, any other religion because any other religion would ultimately fold it on the person. What did you bring to cancel the distance between you and God? And the cross is this one thing that finally announces we are not a religious people that try to cancel distance, but we are a people that fully rely on a work from somebody else, his death and his resurrection, to do that work. Now, the cross has... Uh, um, and I, I, I'm a little bit cautious of, the, of my theologically... Um, finicky people, but I'll, I'll say this, the cross had basically three things throughout Scripture that it dealt with, three main things that it dealt with. Now, we can debate on all kinds of other things. For instance, is healing included in the work of the cross? Meaning, whoever is in Christ does never have to worry about healing because we appropriate healing from the cross. We, we, can, we can debate on all those type of things. But there's three themes that's very clear throughout Scripture that the cross have dealt with these three things. The first thing is that the cross has dealt with is death. Yeah. It seems easy for us now, but let me tell you, if you pin down any fear, I mean, that's how we say at least nobody died. There will come a calamity or whatever happened and we'll say, oh, they stole all my stuff. I wasn't a cockroach. At least nobody died. As if death is the final enemy. It's the worst that can happen to you. And when that enemy was conquered so that we don't have to fear it, meaning death is not the end of the road. Death is not the path towards hell. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, conquered death. So that in some ways, death has become my ally. Bring it on, death. You are going to me. At least I will see Jesus in fullness, and I'll be with him in fullness. Death has lost its sting. Number two, number two, the thing that the cross has dealt with is sin. Now, this is a little bit more, a little bit, little bit more complicated because you see, all of us has done so many wrong things that puts us in trouble with God. We are all sinners and done lots of sinful deeds. And with the cross, Jesus has forgiven us all, all our sin. He has paid the price for our sins to be forgiven. We would have had to pay a price. I wonder if I can point out the biggest sinner in this room. Who is the biggest bull towards God? Marco, it's like, these guys are bragging. Andre, nah. Nah, 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 Andre. It's not the Andre. I need a better one. <laughs> He's a bad sinner. But, uh, um, so, 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 no matter the size of my bull, no matter the size of my debt, Jesus has paid that price. Not only that, he did not only forgive all my sins, he had a problem with me. Because I was a sinner. 
in my very being, as Adam fall, the whole generation after him fall, and we're all fallen creatures, we're all sinful creatures. And so I have become a factory of sin. I produce sin. I'm a sinner, and guess what I do? I sin. As sure as a dog barks, so sure this sinner sins. And although we can forgive all their sins, we need to crush the factory. We need to get a holiness factory so that whatever it spits out will be holiness. How do we do that? A new factory is what needs to come. This old man was full of sin. It produced sin. And so my question is, and you guys have heard me say it, if you've been around a little bit longer, how do we get the baboon to become a human being? How do we get a factory change? How do we get that factory out that produces sin to a holiness factory that produces holiness unto God? Well, there's only one way. The baboon needs to die. We cannot give this baboon a new set of rules. No matter what rules it is. I'll draw up a gowering. I blame my nogalielike dung. No matter what you do and how you want to puff him up, no matter what school you want to put him through, no matter what rules you want to put him through, you're not going to change the factory. The baboon stays a baboon. You can shave him. You can dress him. You can teach him to speak. You can teach him to walk upright. You wouldn't change who he is. There's only one power that can change the very being. And it's death and resurrection. The cross came. And dealt with that factory and replaced that sinful factory with a new factory, a holiness factory. Oops, I can't help it. Holiness comes out of me. It's a holiness factory. Christ in us. The hope of glory. It spits out holiness wherever it goes. Cannot help it. In fact, if you start thinking about it, you start messing it up. But there's a third thing that the cross has dealt with. And in fact... I think Scripture speaks more of this thing than any other thing. The book of Galatians deals with more than any other theme. The book of Romans deals with it not more than any other theme, but it deals with it properly. The book of Hebrews deals with it properly. Those are our three theological big boys. And all of them have decided to stand still on this thing. But this is a tricky one. And so the third thing that the cross has dealt with is the law. Now, what makes this one difficult is all of us here can agree death is an enemy. All of us here can agree that when we are not with God, death is a threat. Death is bad. Death, death came in with the fall. Death brought in immortality. Hell is not where we want to go. All agree. If I bring the second point and I tell you guys, sin, the cross dealt with sin, we will all agree, of course, sin is bad, sin is evil. I can understand the need for dealing with sin. But what about the law? Why are we big on the law? And this is what's making it tricky because, again, as I've mentioned before, if all of Scripture has only one portion that God came down and wrote it with His own finger, everything in the Bible is 
inspiration by God, written by humans. There's only one portion in the whole of Bible that God is the full author. He wrote it. Give me that tablet, boom, 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 and he wrote it. Here, that's my contribution. It's the law. The law finds its origin from God. The law is perfect. And yet, Paul and so much of the New Testament tries to explain to us that we are free from the law as, uh, as Saki has explained. Sometimes people have a wrong understanding of I'm free from the law. So the law says do not steal. <laughs> and now I can steal. Right? You understand the trickiness of this, uh, this point here? I'm telling you, it's the main theme, probably in all of the... Well, I'm saying, David, help me not to over-exaggerate. But it's one of the main themes. One of the main themes in Scripture. And I found so few Christians understand that. They would understand that we are free from death. And they would understand that we're free from sin. But they would not understand our freedom from the law. Now, in Romans 6, Paul tells us of freedom from sin. And Paul says, well, we were these baboons, sinful in our being. And you know what happened? This baboon died. When Jesus died, the baboon died. And when Jesus rose, I rose. The factory died, the sin factory died, and a new factory arose. A new, what's the inside of a computer? It's, uh, huh? No, man, the CPU. So, <laughs> so was, there was a, there was, there's something new that was placed into it. It's a new creation. But then in Romans 7, Paul takes on something else. He speaks about our freedom from the law. Now, what Paul does here is, Paul says, all of us, all mankind, are in a marriage. Hallelujah. Some of the girls would have thought, like, why haven't you told me earlier? No, you, you are. You are married. You are married, and you are married to the law. All of us have a husband married to the law. Now, what Scripture then tells us is there is a problem. Now, let me tell you why it is a problem. Some people, some people have made certain observations in the New Testament and said, as far as I can see, only elders can be married to one woman. That's one of the qualifications of an elder. He must be married to one woman. And so some have settled and say, well, why become an elder then? I am free not to become an elder. Does I then, am I then qualified to be married to more than one woman? All right? Nowhere in the New Testament it says, you guys are cautious now on what I'm... <laughs> but in Romans 7 it says, this, it says this, if we are married to the law, we are stuck because it is illegal and it's against the law to be married to somebody else. So all of you that wanted to twist the New Testament to find an excuse to be married to more than one woman, out of the question. Romans 7 makes this clear. And it says we are all married to the law. All of us. 
then it says, now we so desire. There's this law. I tell you, we're going to speak about this husband. He's a grumpy old guy. Really, guys. He's a grumpy old guy. He's that guy, Tani Trader. You wouldn't have wanted to marry to him. But you are. You all married to him. And so we all married to this guy, the law. And we so desire maybe just to also marry someone else, but we can't. We are the law. The, the, the rule book does not permit us to get married. Jock, remember this. You are not. You're stuck, brother. <laughs> and here's the thing. And then, how do we get out of this marriage? Is there ever a way to get out of this marriage? Who said that? Who's? Hey? There's only one way out of a marriage. Death. Till death do us apart. Now, bad news. The law is not going to die. <laughs> it leaves it over to you <laughs> to die. And so it's beautiful. It says, so when Jesus died, we died with him. And in that sense, we have become free from this marriage so that we can marry a new husband. We have been freed from the one marriage so that we can marry a new husband, Jesus. Now, all of us that are born again have been freed from our marriage to the law, Mr. Law. I'm going to call him Mr. Law. We are all freed from our marriage to Mr. Law. And we've all been joined into a new marriage, which is Jesus. That's the fact, according to Romans 7. But I want us to consider the two husbands this morning. And I'm wondering, in your mind and heart, who are you married to? Because many of us is not free from that husband. At least in our heart, in our mind. And we're still stuck with him. And all the things that he promotes. Now, you guys would know that revival is about to happen. Revival is about to happen. And the first signs is here. Because for this morning, I prepared a PowerPoint. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna have us look. I'm gonna have us look. Yeah, that's, that's coming. It's still <laughs> is this <laughs> yeah you guys have the faith of Thomas here. Alright. Oh <laughs> I almost said come out, but I won't. I won't. <laughs> All right. The first thing about your two husbands, let me explain to you the first things about your two husbands. Mr. Law, Mr. Law is your husband. I'm going to tell you something. He was never sold on you. In fact, 
When He put eyes on you the first time, unfortunately, this is what came out. At first glance of you, He could only give a sigh. You want to say, this is all that you've got? Now, of course, being married to the sigh, to Mr. Law, made you realize that you are not accepted. And you will have to do something to find acceptance from your husband. And so you've tried. You've given it your all. You've given it your all. And at the day, and at the end of giving it your all, all that you realize and all the feedback that you got is that you're not good enough. In fact, he keeps record of how good you perform, and depending on how good you perform, he will decide whether he accepts you and you've fallen short. You wake up every morning and dead. You know, if the guy was at least one of those guys, you know some couples, I know they, 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 these couples are not in the church, but some couples, some couples, they fight. They fight. Sometimes even after the sun goes down. You know, <laughs> when we turn our backs on one another, and the duvet is getting so tight, it becomes like a trampoline. <laughs> but at least, most of the time, it feels like in the morning, there's a new beginning. And in the morning, we can forget about it. But with this guy, he does not forget. Most the Lord does not forget. You were in debt yesterday, and you think by the morning there might be mercy. No? In fact, your starting point with your husband is that you are in trouble. And the whole purpose of your relationship with him is somehow to find a way to get out of trouble. You work and you're tired, but at the end of the day, you still find yourself in, in debt, and you still find yourself coming short. I wonder if there's anybody married to a husband like that. <clears throat> then there's a different husband. His name is Jesus. He is fully, completely sold on you. You are fully, fully accepted by Him. You are fully, fully included by the embrace of Him. And you are thinking, how? I am not worthy. I am a mess. You cannot do it. Give me just a chance to prove myself. And he says, no. You are fully accepted and fully loved by me. And you go, but on what basis? I have done nothing. And He would say, because it's not on the basis of what you have done, or what you have even chose. Choose but it's on the basis of what I have chosen and on the basis of my work. Now, 
The thing about Mr. Law is, he never trusts me in the house. Girls, it's one of those guys. You know, it's like, I think stay rather out of the kitchen. You're just going to burn it down. <laughs> First prove yourself, and then we will see. But in my marriage with Jesus, he says this, my house is your house, and my inheritance is your inheritance. Therefore, you are a co-heir in my house, and I want you to come and join with me in this inheritance so that we can see our household further. So come and work with me, not to qualify yourself, but to enjoy this inheritance that we have as a house. Do you want to be married to him? The problem is, I present these two to you, but in, in our very core, so many of us have a mixed marriage. And so many of us have stuck with Mr. Law. See, the problem is many of you have been married to Mr. Law for a very, very long time. All of us. And we've picked up certain things of how to carry ourselves. And we have learned approval is the way forward. And we don't want to believe that our new husband would just accept it. All right. Point number two. <clears throat> Mr. Law, all right, he demands perfection. He demands perfection. Now, can I just say, from what I say and how I present them, you might think, you might think that I say the law is bad. No. No, never, never be. No, 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 no. You misunderstand me if I say to you the law is bad and that he's evil. No, he's perfect. In fact, he comes straight from God. It cannot be greater. He is perfect. But, this is the problem. Quickly, if we can go to, I think, <coughs> Romans 7, 14. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. I'll, I'll, I will, I will, I'll just speak. So, <laughs> as you go there. So, so, Mr. Law, Mr. Law is perfect, right? And we, we'll establish now that. And Mr. Law expects me to be perfect as well. So Mr. Law asked me, asked me, you must do this. But Mr. Law, in his very essence, will never, never help me to do this. Mr. Law will ask me, I want you to go buy groceries for a thousand rand, but you only have a hundred rand. Mr. Law says, go buy groceries for a thousand rand, and you only have a hundred rand. You will come back with a hundred rand's worth of groceries, and he will condemn you for doing that. Now, are we there? Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. The problem is not that the law is bad. The law is perfect. The problem is you are bad. You agree with me on that yawn. 
Romans 8 verse 3 says, For the law is weak in the flesh. The law in its perfection make this rule. I will not move a finger. You have to do it. I want perfection, and I will see if you can do it. Now, my new husband. Now, some of you have had the wrong picture of your new husband. Some of you have thought the only way out for him is to say that the law does not exist anymore. You have heard that you cannot steal. I say you can steal. No, that's the wrong husband. That's not Jesus. Jesus did not come to take away the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And so what Jesus says, I'm going to require you to do this, but whatever I ask you to do, I will do it for you. He would say, what you required from Mr. Law was your strength. What you require from me is to rely on me. What he would say from Mr. Law was, how good are you to do it? What he would say from me is, what he would say from Jesus is, can you, can you abide in me? Mr. Law has only one strength from which he could do it. And it was you. How much could you do it? The marriage to Jesus wants nothing of your strength to come into the marriage. Mr. Jesus in his marriage says, if anyone is going to do it, even if I ask you to do it, I will do it. I will ask you to go buy a groceries of a thousand rand. Dollar, rand, dollar, dollar. I saw Ryan for a moment and I slipped out dollar there. <laughs> Read my audience here. So, and he will always, he will always give it to you. The law, Mr. Law asks, what can you do? The marriage to Jesus says, can you rely on me? Now, here's the problem, guys. We've been in a marriage with Mr. Law for a very, very long time. And you have learned and you have kind to come to understand, can I do it? Can I be dependent on my own strength? And the problem with your new marriage with Jesus is, you take that same principle with you. You always see if you can do it by yourself. And the more he says to you, stop, I will do it for you. The more you say, no, let me try. Stop, I will do it for you. No, allow me, I will try. He wants to whisper in your ear, you can't. Just stop. Let me do it. There's two powers. Paul says in Hebrews 7, 6. We've been free from the, from, the, from the power of an outward fleshly commandment. And being transformed into a power of an indestructible life. I will show you what husband you have. If your serving the Lord has become tiresome, you've served the wrong husband. Can I tell you, if Jesus does the work, it's impossible to get tired. My food is to do the will of the Father. 
To do the will of God gives me life. And if the will of God is not life, it's the wrong husband that you're serving. I've got five points, and I think it's going to be a long morning, so I, I need to uh, limit my points here. All right. So let's skip to point three. Point three. Point, uh, we'll get to point four. Point four. <clears throat> Mr. Law, as a husband, oh, man, he's a pain in the butt. Not for now. He is so, so fault-finding. That's his, that's, that's, that's. That's his job. Let me tell you about Mr. Law's husband. You guys might have known after a while. I mean, we've all been married to him at some time. He's not a very intimate guy. Right? He's not, a, he's not a hearts guy. He's a right and wrong guy. That's the type of things that's, that's kind of important for him. And so he's always in my marriage with him. I'm always going, ah, oh, beep, 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 beep. That's wrong. It's wrong. You need to do it like this. Okay, okay, okay. Ah, Ah, okay. Ah. Well, my other husband. Let's go to uh, Romans seven four. Oh, shucks. Romans seven four. Oh, here we are. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, for the death of Christ, so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, to Jesus, so that you joined to Jesus, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Any married couples here? Yes? I'm going to ask you guys a question. How did you become fruitful? Christo? Waar kom kinders vandaan? <laughs> hey guys, how, how, do we, how do we become fruitful in marriage? Free intimacy. I have been married, it says there, I have been joined to him. I have been joined to him for this purpose so that my union with him will produce fruitfulness. A union with a husband, that only one way of producing fruitfulness, and that's intimacy. My question with my husband, oh, that sounds weird, with my, with my new spouse, <laughs> in everything that I do is, does this produce intimacy unto fruitfulness? While my other husband will ask me, was that right or was that wrong? I read my Bible every day. Correct. How long? You can do better. I've prayed today. How long? You can do better. I've come to church today. How many times? My question with my lovers, one question. Did I have intimacy today? I don't read my Bible as in, that was right. I don't pray as in, that was right. 
I ask myself one question. Did I have intimacy with him? I am driven in this relationship to one thing. I want to have intimacy with him. The law is asking me, Mr. Law, was that right or was that wrong? I'd, uh, um, I'm going to use you, Vian. Sorry, man. But, but, but Vian asked me the, uh, <clears throat> the question the other day. He's wondering now. He asked me this question. We were, we were doing, uh, we was, uh, it was after a Sunday meeting and we had worship. And he asked me afterwards, he said to me, that one song, do you think that song was theologically correct? And I'm thinking, I just have to go think like, yeah, yeah. I think it is, but I, I hear, I hear with, where you are. I mean, I can understand that some people could have twisted that song to that way. He says, doesn't it bother you? I thought like, no, it didn't bother me. And he says this thing to me. He says, you know, when I worship, my consideration is, is this theologically correct? What is your consideration? And I had to say, and that's not my consideration. My consideration is, is people encountering God and have we have intimacy. Now, he's very right on the way that God has made, up, made him up as a noble uh, Berean. Because we don't want to allow theology that says, I can have more than one husband. We don't want theology that starts stealing the sacredness of the intimacy with Jesus. And so we want to guard the songs and the theology that what we have. But our question, the thing that drives us is, is this correct or not correct? The driver is, do we have intimacy? You know, I, uh, I, I've, I've been on this for a little while, but there's a, um, there's a verse in Romans 14 that speaks about days, you know. I, I, I wanted to speak a little bit on Christmas and just how we approach Christmas as, as Christians. I couldn't have time on this, but I, I will say this, you know. There's, there's, there's a thing in Romans 14 that says, you know, you know that there's not one, there's not one guidance in the New Testament for us to have festivals. We're not told to have festivals, not one time. We're not told not to have festivals. It's like, you know, do whatever you want, type of thing. You choose which ones you want to do, and, oh, there's no prescription of how to do it. Really? It's complete contrast to the Old Testament that we told you, you, that guy needs to wear this on this day. His thing needs to be washed this way. He needs to dry. There's nothing for us in the New Testament, right? And then Paul says in Romans 14, he says this. He says, for some people, a certain day is special as unto the Lord. When I celebrate, not me, I'm saying for some people, when they celebrate Christmas, or whatever you want to call it, they remember the birth of Jesus. And there's something that makes them realize of what He has done as unto the Lord. Please, please keep it. For some of us here, it's unto the Lord. It is in what helps me in my intimacy with God. The question is not, Paul is not on this question. Is it right or is it wrong? He's asking me, is that unto the Lord? Then go for it. Then he says, for some of you, you do not keep a certain day. You do not keep a certain day because you think 
this festival is starting to become secular. This is no longer something that is sacred and unto the Lord. This is stealing from our relationship with the Lord. And I want to make a stance against this unto the Lord. Paul says, bless you and do that. My question is not, is the festival right or wrong? But my festival is, my, my question is, is it unto the Lord? I've told you guys the story before, but I did, I, it, it's like, this is Mr. Law. Mr. Law says this. Did you call it Passover or did you say Easter? I said Easter. We, we had a guy that left the church because one of the elders announced we're going to have an Easter service. Now, I know this elder. And I know Easter, in, sorry, Passover, for him means the death and resurrection of Jesus. And even though we celebrate it every day, it is something that he stands still on and remember. It is as unto the Lord. But he made the mistake of calling it Easter and not Passover. And then we had a guy leaving the church. Jesus, I love you, but just say it in Easter. Ach, Passover. The law gets stuck on right and wrong. Jesus is asking, do you have intimacy that produces fruitfulness? That's the question. And the last one is, is it lawful or is it profitable? Now, I want to tell you guys quickly a story. Now, Paul is, in Paul's situation, imagine, imagine this quickly for me. You observe or you see a satanic ritual. Let me explain the satanic ritual. There's a goat. Satanists always have goats. Come on. So there's a goat, right? There's a goat. And the goat is standing there, and there's witches and druids and wizards. Black locks, and there is chanting around the goat. All the things... Bones are thrown in the air. The whole deal is being done over this goat. The next moment, the next moment, knives go into the goat and they rip that goat apart. They take its blood and they kind of cover themselves with the blood of goat. They rip the heart off, bite it out, and shout praises unto Satan. Then they cut up that goat further. As they have done certain sacrifices unto Satan. And then they think by themselves, let's spread demonic spirits all over and start selling those goats in the marketplaces. And here comes ignorant Paul <laughs> through the marketplace. Paul, Paul, are you not scared that some of these goats might have been used in demonic and satanic rituals? No. I'm free to eat anything. <laughs> I don't even ask questions. Just give me the meat. Why don't you know? that meat? Oh, I don't care. Just give me the meat. I'll thank Jesus and eat whatever. You know, Paul's freedom sometimes. Paul goes, I'm free. Like, Paul, your freedom makes me tired. I say, How do you do this? That's what he says. Now, Paul says, now, there's, there's a little bit of a trick here. He says, 
Sometimes when one of these witches <laughs> or wizards invites you to their house and they present to you food, first glance, just eat it, man. Just eat it. Don't ask questions. Just eat it. But if they tell you just before you eat it, <clears throat> listen, sir, I know what you're about to eat. We have used in a satanic ritual unto worshiping of Satan. This is part of a burnt offering. You still want to eat it? And Paul says, I will not eat it. For conscience sake. Oh yeah, not my conscience because I'm free. <laughs> For this guy's conscience. I don't want him to think that I have in any way any, uh, any uh, um, connection with Satan. But can I tell you, for me, I don't care about that meat. I'll eat it all day long. <laughs> I'm free. And then Paul says, but I'm not asking myself, is this lawful? I'm asking myself a better question. Is this profitable? That's the question that I'm asking. And I'm thinking now, even though this is lawful for me, in this instance, I might cause another person to be dead to the gospel. And for that sake, for his conscience, I will not eat it. Look, it's not sacred for me. I can say no to me. There, Paul is again greater than me. I struggle to say no to me. So, Saki made the, 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 you know, he got free in his Bible school years to watch movies. Right? He, he was for a long time, it was a difficult thing for him to watch movies. And against his conscience, which was absolutely sin, he watched movies. And then after a while, you see, like, the hellfire is not falling on him. Maybe this could be all right. And actually, after a while, his conscience allowed him to watch movies. Oh, I'm free to watch movies. Now, let's discuss a little bit movies, guys. My son is about to get 16 on the 25th of December. His birthday is with Jesus. So. <laughs> or a pagan god, whatever you want. To <laughs> you, can, you, can, you can choose. You can choose. You, you can choose. You can choose. <laughs> days belongs to nobody, guys. I'm just like, days is just days. It's not, it's not, no one possesses the days. So, two days before, um, before his birthday, he wants to watch uh, a movie. 16. And nowadays it was still 2 to 16. When you're under 2, you could have watched it. But nowadays, no. And, and you can't. So 16. He wants to watch a movie 16. And by law, we will say, let's honor the law, Samuel. No, you cannot watch it. Two days later, you can watch it. Two days, amazing things happen, Samuel. You've suddenly become mature, and now you can watch it. You're strong now, you're ready to watch it, right? Boom. You've satisfied Mr. Law. Just hang out for two days. Boom, law's there. But Samuel, I've got a different question here. The question for me is not whether it's lawful. The question for me is whether it's profitable here. Is this movie going to bring you closer to the Lord? I mean, is it neutral? Or is this movie going to affect you in a, in a bad way? That's my question. The Lord just asks if it's right or wrong. Guys, is watching sport... It's lawful, right? I mean, Paul speaks about an athlete. He speaks about boxing. 
It's clear. Look, he watched some athletics and he's watched some boxing, I'm sure. The problem for me is, I sometimes have this battle, and if I want to get away, I go like, but that's lawful. I can watch sport. I'm a big fan. It's like a, my wife will joke. <laughs> I can see how she looks. <laughs> I'm, not <laughs> I'm a big fan of the, the tennis guy, the number one guy in the world, Djokovic. My wife asked me. My <laughs> he's called the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Okay. He's, 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 the, he's the goat. My wife asked me my, this question. Sometimes, is Djokovic, are you getting more intimate with Djokovic <laughs> than with Jesus? Is Djokovic starting to influence your relationship with Jesus? Is watching him profitable to your relationship with Jesus? I know it's lawful. You've satisfied Mr. Law. It's all right. But is it profitable? And see, that's a whole different new question that Jesus is asking me. What is beneficial to intimacy with him versus is it right or is it wrong? Can Christians have lots of money? I see, this, I see this on YouTube all the time. If you want to see Mr. Law all over the place, just go on YouTube. Flip and L, they make me... Right? Can Christians have a lot of money? No, it's not unlawful. But sometimes, for some people, it will not be profitable. That's my question. I'm not on the train of is it right or is it wrong. My question is, is it profitable? Sometimes, and I, I tell you guys, sometimes in my eldering, I give advice to people, and this is what they tell me. But it's nothing wrong with me. It's lawful. But in my heart, I say, but it's not profitable. I can see what it does to you. Show me a scripture that says it's wrong. I don't have that scripture. But I'm not driven by that power. I'm driven by something different. Is this profitable for your relationship with the Lord? I mean, for me, I mean, if I get, if I get into these questions, guys, I want to really vomit. How far can I go with a goal? Can I go further than the knee? I know if I say, okay, let's keep it at the knee. They're going to find loopholes somewhere else and want to go to the shoulders. And then at the end, I need to make kind of boundaries at every limp. <laughs> Carry yourself in such a way that it's profitable in bringing glory and honor and holiness to God. I'm not going to pull out the rule. I'm not married to that guy. I'm married to a lover. The desires intimacy, and I want to put my life in such a way that everything that I do is beneficial and profitable to that. Then asking me, is it right or is it wrong? Is it lawful or not? Got a different husband. All right. I'm gonna pray.
So, but let me pray, and then I, I just want us to consider this. No, um, Jesus, I want you to help us, Jesus, because all of us have been married to Mr. Law. All of us have history with Mr. Law. And in our marriage with Mr. Law, we have picked up so many things, Jesus. We have taken on the role of a spouse with Mr. Law that is so deeply embedded in us. That unfortunately, when we got married to you, Jesus, we took that same ideas on us. And we carry and we treat you as Mr. Law. But you're not. So Jesus, I pray as revelation come in our hearts. That we would once and for all cut ourselves free from the things that we've learned from our previous marriage. Because you're not at all like that. Free us from that thing. Free our minds and free our hearts. Father, I thank you that the marriage with you is for liberty and for freedom's sake. You have set us free. So that we can produce much fruit coming out of intimacy. Oh Lord, we want to enjoy the marriage.